0: Your phone is smart, but what about your home? Does your microwave talk to Alexa? Does your garage door listen to Google? Can you get behind a badass robot vacuum? Our guest today can, and we're here to talk about it. It's the Benefit of a Doubt podcast. Welcome to the Benefit of a Dowd podcast. I'm your host, Adam Dowd, and this week we have a pair of top stories for you. To start, I'm going to tell you all about my weekend last week. No, I'm not going to be regaling the tale of me cleaning out my garage. I took advantage of a long holiday weekend to go out and, you know, work. I'm a workaholic. It's a problem. But where this comes into play is I took two days to travel all over the Chicagoland area and run speed tests to find out just how 5G Chicago's 5G actually was. Turns out, it's pretty freaking 5G once you alter your expectations. Ah, and that's how they get you. Also, I made a video version of this story, which is going up on YouTube as we speak. I'd like it if you go check out the video, because it includes a montage that's not in the audio version, because... A video montage and an audio podcast is just, you know, music, so that's a little silly. So go check it out on YouTube, listen to it here, everything will be great. After that, my editor over at Digital Trends, John Velasco, joins me to talk all things smart home. You may not be aware, but I freelance over at Digital Trends as a smart home writer and reviewer, so this is near and dear to my heart, and it's actually a pretty fascinating field. I hope you'll stick around for that, but first, we have to get to the news of the week. These days, everybody has stories. Twitter just came out with stories. They call them fleets, but they're, you know, stories. And that wasn't bad enough. Now, freaking Spotify is experimenting with stories. Spotify, people! This is getting stupid. Actually, it was already stupid. Now it's going full Giuliani. Anyway, this is a feature that Spotify is testing out with artists to help them communicate with their fans. Actually, this seems less like an attempt to compete with stories and more an attempt to compete with Apple Music. I don't use Apple Music, but if I remember correctly, Apple Music has a thing where artists can send messages out to fans. This seems to be more that, but in a format everybody knows whether they want to know it or not. Is this the worst thing in the world? No. Is it a little silly? A little. Personally, I don't know why an artist would bother with Spotify stories when they can just post Instagram stories and connect that way. Of course, Spotify stories may and probably will lead directly to people listening to their music, which is another sweet .00000000586 cents in their pockets, so there is a little financial incentive if you know what I'm talking about. It's not a hell of a lot of financial incentive, but it is some financial incentive. You'll recall last week we talked about a mysterious monolith that appeared in the Utah desert. Well, that whole story just blew up to a series of events best characterized by... What? Who? Where? Why? Whoa. So, this is a series of stories, and try to keep up here, because first of all, that monolith was not alone in this world for too long because another monolith popped up in Romania. And because you all enjoy listening to me try to pronounce things, I'm going to quote the article directly here. <clears throat> Standing approximately 13 feet out of the ground, the new monolith was discovered on Batca Domine Hill in the city of Piatra Nement on Thursday, November 26th. According to the Daily Mail, the new monolith stands just meters away from a national archaeological landmark, the Petrodava Dacian Fortress. Whoof! that was a mouthful. Anyway, this new monolith had a circular brushed exterior pattern on it, and it looked more like a copycat's shop class project. I'm quoting the article there, referring to some shoddy welds on the Romanian counterpart. So... Two monoliths on opposite sides of the world, and there's more to the story? (laughs) You bet there's more to the story. Because the monolith in Utah disappeared, seemingly overnight. Actually, it was last Friday that it went missing. So what happened to it? A photographer was shooting the monolith when four men showed up with sledgehammers and a wheelbarrow and broke it down and carted it off. They said, leave no trace to the photographer, which is a popular slogan for nature lovers, the implication being that people visiting a natural area should leave it the way they found it, not leave it with, you know, a 13-foot beam sticking out of the ground. And I have to admit, they have a point. Another facet of this involves the fact that this monolith was located about 10 miles off a main road down a dirt road that isn't meant for cars, just SUVs and larger vehicles. All the same, the next morning when the photographer was leaving, he saw nearly 70 cars parked along this dirt road, with people approaching the artist formerly known as the monolith's location, trampling all over nature to get there, and these are all valid concerns. The internet at large seems pretty divided on the subject, which... Let's face it, that's what the internet kind of does. Comments on the Instagram post where the photographer detailed the story ranged from good for them to F these guys. Pretty much from commenters, all of whom had zero intention of actually coming to see the monolith for themselves, seeing as how they'd have to leave their parents' basements to do it. As for me, I really don't care, except that all this gave me good material for the podcast, so overall, I'm pretty content. But I'm still not done. Because that monolith in Romania? Also gone. It vanished on Tuesday, about four days after it was installed. There was no photographer on site to regale the story, unfortunately. My guess is some kid in shop class got bored, then realized Romanian authorities were investigating because the monolith was placed in an archaeological site, so they panicked and went back and took it down. So, no folks, no aliens, no government conspiracies, just some artists getting a kick out of their newfound worldwide fame, and a podcaster cackling about the whole episode. But wait, There's more because a third monolith appeared and disappeared this week, this time near the top of a mountain in California. It appeared on Wednesday morning, discovered by some hikers. This monolith was not set into the ground, so authorities were concerned that a good push could knock it over onto some you know, nice hiker out enjoying their day. Of course, that concern was also short-lived because a group of right-wing racists tore the monolith down by pushing it over, just what the authorities were afraid of. They replaced the monolith, with a plywood cross proclaiming, and this is a direct quote, by the way, quote, Christ is king in this country. We don't want illegal aliens from Mexico or outer space. And I can assure you, sir, outer space aliens don't want you either. But Adam, you said they were racist. How do you know that? Well, the good folks advice watched the live stream that lasted for over five hours, by the way, of the men who mentioned white power and burning crosses several times throughout the video. I mean whatever this whole monolith thing was a nice little curiosity until 2020 came in and 2020 all over it just like everything else and can we just get to 2021 already because this monolith story started off fun but now it's leaving a bad taste in my mouth thanks obama So, I have good news and bad news. The good news is, over the weekend, the U.S. successfully shot down an intercontinental ballistic missile. This is actually a really big deal, because those things move insanely fast. And trying to hit something moving insanely fast with another thing that is also moving insanely fast is, wait for it, insanely hard. And for as long as intercontinental ballistic missiles have been around, this has never been possible. And now it's possible, but let's not forget it's only been done once. But that's it, right? The world is safe from nuclear weapons now? Well, actually, no. Things may have just gotten a whole lot worse, and Yahoo Finance is here to tell us why. Yahoo Finance? Yeah, I was confused too, but trust me, this actually does make sense. See, as long as the seven countries in the world that have nuclear weapons had nuclear weapons that couldn't be stopped, we're all actually pretty okay. The reason is, if anyone decided to go whack job and launch, everyone else would launch and the world would be destroyed. So, no one goes whack job. But now, the U.S. has the capability of stopping those weapons, which means the U.S. is safe and everyone else is screwed, right? Well, no again, because now that the world knows that we can stop an intercontinental ballistic missile, they're gonna get to work on building a missile that we can't stop. Their offense will get better, so our defense will have to get better. Plus, now that we've proven it's possible, someone else is going to figure out how we did it, and when that happens, we're gonna have to try to figure out how to beat them. You see, by making things better, we actually just made things a whole lot worse. And then add to that, We only stopped one missile. One is not a data set. It's not even a pattern. It could have been luck as much as anything else. So while everyone else is out there bulking up their missiles, we may not even have a workable defense. So it turns out things are now less stable than they were before because the only way to stop nuclear war was to make sure that everyone had just as much to lose. And that's no longer the case. Feel better? Yeah, this is a very 2020 story, all right. But let's turn things back to the positive because Wise is a Chinese company who's been making inroads into the technology space largely through smart home technology. Hey, smart home, that sounds familiar. Well, that's because we're talking about it later. But for now, Wise announced this week that it would be developing a smartwatch. The crazy part is this smartwatch will cost just $20 and it's basically an Apple Watch clone. It does heart rate, blood oxygen levels, and notifications, basically what every other smartwatch can do. And its battery lasts for nine days. What? So, yeah, Wise is bringing the thunder with its first smartwatch, and yes, indeed, our review unit is already ordered. I can't wait to get my hands on this thing. I haven't told you this, but I've actually been wearing the Mi Band 5 since I reviewed it back in August, and I've been digging it. It's actually gotten a little grumpy since I switched over the iPhone, but I'm still working on that. Anyway, if I can get all that in a more attractive package for $20, I am totally in. pre order ship in February, so stay tuned for my first anniversary show, or somewhere about then and I'll be sure to do the review. And speaking of the iPhone, Brazil is forcing the phone maker. Does Apple make other things other than phones? I forget. Anyway, Brazil is forcing Apple to ship their phones with chargers in the box. Those bastards! Brazil appealed to Apple and asked them what was so environmentally friendly about losing the charger. And Apple replied, well, you see, we get to sell them now and that makes us more money. And Brazil was like, oh, oh, that's so great for the planet. That's really wonderful. Okay, so you just go ahead and ship the damn chargers in the damn boxes like you should, okay? This did not make Apple happy, and I'm fairly sure that this is not the last country who is going to take issue with Apple's money play. Some commenters in the 9to5Mac article are saying that Apple should increase the price of the iPhone to match the added costs of the bigger box, higher shipping, and include a charger, to which one person replied, quote, I'm from Brazil. Here only rich people buy the iPhone, so no problem if the price increases. <laughs> <laughs> L-O-L. Honestly, I kind of like another idea in the comments of Apple shipping the iPhone charger list, but with Apple including a voucher for a free accessory in the box. That way, people who want a charger can get one. Others can use the voucher for something else that they wouldn't have otherwise bought, but probably cost more than a plug, and now Apple makes money again. Either way, Brazil isn't buying Apple's environmental story, so Apple can go suck a big one and just put the charger in the box like it always always should have done. MKBHD ran his annual blind smartphone camera test and came back with some surprising results. The way this works is Marquez and his team took 16 phones and took 16 identical photos. Then he put them up against each other in a sort of NCAA bracket and took to Twitter and Instagram for the masses to vote on them. The winners of each leg moved on and shot a new set of photos until the final two phones remained. Once more, people voted and a winner emerged. The winner... The Asus Zenfone 7. Seriously? I told you to double-check this. You know, I'm really sick of your excuses. That's it. You're fired. Pack up your... What? What? I know I can't take a phone call and record... Fine. Hello? Oh, Marquez. Hey, man. Great to hear from you. I, uh... Yeah? Yeah. No kidding. Ha. All right, man. Thanks. Take care. So, yeah, the Asus Zenfone 7. How about that? But more interesting than the result is the way that people came to the result. Marquez breaks it all down for you in his video, and I'm not going to give away anything else here, just aside from the winner. But, honestly, the winner is only a tiny piece of the puzzle. If you want the whole picture, go check on the whole video. And, oh, Billy, stop crying. You're not fired. All right, people, i got to go take care of this. Amazon just launched its own pharmacy, and it's not satisfied with that, so now it's looking to pick up Wondery, the podcast production house responsible for shows like Dr. Death and Dying for Sex. This isn't really surprising. Many big names have been gobbling up podcast production houses because they all want a slice of that incoming podcast revenue pie. Amazon was one of the last big companies to buy one, and... Wondery is one of the last big studios that is still independent. It's all part of the inevitable gobbling up of a little guy that we all know and love here in America. Amazon doesn't really have much in the way of podcasts, but it does have a music service, so this is a natural extension to it. And I'm just saying, Spotify, Apple, Amazon, Google, call me. No, seriously, don't. I probably wouldn't sell. If I'm ever in a position to attract suitors like them, chances are... I'm doing pretty okay on my own, so I'll just keep on keeping on. Let that be my promise to you listeners. If you ever boost me up to a place where I'm big enough to sell out, I'll return the favor by not selling out. Google once again tracked down a massive exploit in iPhones that allowed a hacker to basically take control of and grab any information it wanted off an iPhone, basically at will. This was a zero-click exploit, and the attacker didn't even have to be on the same network as the victim. That is gobsmackingly huge. Hacker Ian Beer discovered and built the exploit and demonstrated it in a video that I only half understood. Basically, with a Raspberry Pi and some off-the-shelf Wi-Fi adapters, he could send some Wi-Fi packets to your iPhone, and before you can say what the hell is a Wi-Fi packet, he's in and basically stripping your phone of all of its data. And that's scary stuff, but don't worry, Apple patched the bug a while ago, so you don't have to shove your iPhone down a garbage disposal and unless you just don't want to wait for the next major exploit to be uncovered, because for as much as Apple loves to beat the privacy war drum, they sure do leave the keys to the safe lying around a lot. And look, I get it. This is a bug, and it was an accident, and it was an exploit. It's basically a big whoopsie. But there comes a time when the whoopsies catch up with the company, and that time may be coming sooner than Apple likes. And finally, the big announcement from this last week has to be Qualcomm's Snapdragon 888 announcement. Qualcomm's next flagship processor will be a beast built on a 5-nanometer process. The major advance that Qualcomm is talking about comes in the form of a triple ISP, or image signal processor. There are three of these things. The ISP will be able to capture images from three main cameras at once, plus the 888 supports playback at 120 frames per second. Plus, it shoots video in 4K HDR. In addition to all that, there's new AI on board for photography. And are you seeing a theme here? They really focused on photography for this chipset. This AI will fix focusing issues, color and brightness issues. Basically, you're going to be a walking, talking... um, I don't know any famous photographers. Um, Jonathan Frakes? No, he's a director. Well, okay, just imagine you're a great photographer... You're going to be even better, and that's the Benefit of a Dowd podcast. Come for the podcast, stay for the analogies. And, you know, if that doesn't sell it, I don't even know what we're doing here. Finally, the 5G will be on board the processor this time. It won't require a separate modem purchase, which is honestly kind of a punk move by Q Ball last year i mean i get it the processor probably wasn't ready to integrate the modem but still i'm glad they fixed that this time around regardless all told this is going to be one monster of a chip and your photos will never be the same now the only question is who's going to ship it first i'm guessing the chinese oem will ship it first but i also suspect that samsung will probably be the first to ship it worldwide (music) (laughs)
1: I oh, oh,
0: So, let me tell you a little story about a funny thing that happened a few weeks back. I was right in the middle of my review of the TCL 10 5G UW from Verizon Wireless. And a neat thing about that phone is that it's a $400 phone that can access Verizon's super high speed, if you can find it, millimeter wave 5G network. I had just wrapped up my review of the T-Mobile Revel 5G. And a few weeks ago, I finished my review of the LG Velvet, and suddenly it occurred to me. I have three phones which offer very similar specifications that run 5G from all three major networks in America, and that, kids, is what we call an opportunity. So here's a question. What if I hated, you know, not working and I could abandon my family for basically two days and drive all around Chicago from the heart of downtown to the outskirts of Nowheresville Just to see what 5G was like around the Chicago area. So that's what I decided to do. And I'm going to take you on an express tour of that trip, completely with speed tests from 22 different locations in and around the Chicagoland area. So... First, let's talk about the journey. Now, before I get started, I should point out that you'll find a map of my trip, or at least all of the points of interest, on benefitofadow.com. I used a web app called RootXL to plan out the most efficient route to all 22 destinations. It's pretty neat, this podcast and video not sponsored by RootXL, but they do have my thanks. Anyway, before I get into this, I realized that All of you watching and or listening, most of the places I'm going to talk about aren't going to make much sense. I've tried to offer a bit of context to each location to help you out. So just do your best to keep up, and if you get lost, just lean back and go with the flow, baby. Anyway, let's get to it. I started both of my days off at 6.30 in the morning. I had to. Daylight saving time going away meant that sunset was at a stupid 4.30 p.m., so I needed to get started early. On day one, I started at Woodfield Mall, which is like the third largest mall in America, something like that. It was also Black Friday, so I did not think that through. Except it didn't matter, because the mall was frickin' dead. Anyway, then I headed to Wheaton, Illinois, and had a brief stopover at a park where I first drove in a Tesla for the first time, and then I went even further south to Fry's Electronics in Downers Grove. Why Fry's? It's an electronics store for nerds, and it's in the middle of like four major highways in the Chicago area, so it just seemed appropriate. From there, I headed still further south to Aurora, Illinois, the fictional home of Wayne Campbell of Wayne's World fame. That is, by the way, the only thing that Aurora has going for it. And while I was there, I downloaded Wayne's World on all three phones. From there, I headed to the furthest south that I would go, Joliet, Illinois. Specifically, I went to Old Joliet Prison, home of the opening scene of the Blues Brothers. I then headed east to Hollywood Casino Amphitheater, as it's known today. But when I was a lad, it was the World Music Theater where I saw Bands like Nine Inch Nails, Scorpions, and Rammstein, which, side note, was the last time I ever saw or listened to Rammstein. Just new. Then I hit Calumet City on the Indiana border. Since no one ever wants to go to Indiana on purpose, from there I turned north. Next up was Comiskey Park, which I'm supposed to call Guaranteed Rate Field, but everyone still calls Comiskey Park. From there, further west to Midway Airport. While I was there, I downloaded Call of Duty Mobile, a 1.87 gigabyte game, and from there I headed to Frank Lloyd Wright's home in Oak Park, Illinois. Frank Lloyd Wright was a famous architect from the late 1800s and early 1900s. I don't see the appeal, but he was famous, so whatever. From there, I headed downtown, and this was the place that Verizon had a chance to shine. While in the downtown area, I had the Sears Tower, the Picasso sculpture in Daly Plaza, the Bean in Grant Park, and finally, Navy Pier. After leaving downtown, it was time for fun at the old ballpark, Wrigley Field, home of the Chicago Cubs, popping up right in the middle of Wrigleyville in the city. And with the sun beginning to fade, I had to hightail at home, but right between me at Wrigley Field and home is O'Hare Airport, and I had just enough time to grab a test before calling it a long, long day. The next morning, I started off at the Baha'i Temple, which is a non-denominational temple in Wilmette, Illinois. This is the only Baha'i Temple in the U.S., one of only seven in the world, and it was built to service the entire United States. I don't really see how, but it's very pretty. So there's that. Next, I headed up to Michael Jordan's former seven-acre estate in Highland Park. You can't really hang out there. Heck, if you even Google the address, the 23 on the gate is blurred out, but I got a shot of it. wahaha <laughs> From there, I hit Six Flags Great America, which is totally empty these days, but during most summers, it's about 30% of my Instagram feed. And hey, here's a pro tip. Don't drive into the employee parking lot looking to shoot B-roll because the park is closed. Security? Well, let's just say they frown on that. Next up, I headed up north to the Wisconsin border and Cheno Lake State Park. I wanted to get a sense as to the speed out in the middle of the woods, and fortunately at this point I could start heading back south. First to the Volo Auto Museum, which I've never visited before and considering how tourist trappy this place is, I'll probably never visit again. Woodstock, Illinois is a small town in the northwest that served as a filming site for the movie Groundhog Day. So I downloaded Groundhog Day while I was there. Well, I tried to. Well, we'll get to that. Oh, and another fun fact about Woodstock, Volo, and Chain of Lakes. Only Republican voting counties in the Chicagoland area in the last election. So that was fun. I hit Crystal Lake on my way back south. It's a random suburb that could have been located anywhere, really. But they had Christmas trees, so I guess that's something. And finally, I made it to Grand Victoria Riverboat Casino in Elgin, Illinois, because it's, again, the only thing in Elgin, Illinois worth going to. So where does that leave us? Well, let's get to the numbers, shall we? Well, like my destinations, 5G speeds were all over the map. The slowest download speed I saw overall was 8.22 megabits per second on T-Mobile in Oak Park, Illinois. The slowest on AT&T was 9.6 megabits per second in Calumet City on the Indiana border. And the slowest for Verizon still hit the double digits at 15.4 megabits per second in Downers Grove. But if you want big numbers, T-Mobile topped out at 211 megabits per second at Midway Airport, AT&T hit 218 megabits per second at Woodfield Mall, and Verizon hit 453 megabits per second at the Sears Tower downtown. That last one is not surprising and just for reference i ran a speed test now on my home wi-fi and came back with 89.3 megabits per second and come to think of it i should probably have a talk with my internet service provider but that's a different conversation as for download tests they were not awesome so let's break it down by location you'll recall in aurora illinois i downloaded wayne's world from amazon prime only at&t finished the download at 13 minutes and 38 seconds T-Mobile managed 34% of the movie after 18 minutes and 27 seconds, and I would have waited longer, but it was only 34%, and just hell no. Verizon barely got into double digits in the same time. Groundhog Day had similar results, but with different carriers. AT&T blasted through it in 3 minutes and 10 seconds, while Verizon got to 51% after 15 minutes, and T-Mobile only got to 11% in that same time. Call of Duty Mobile is a 1.87 gigabyte download, and I tested that at Midway Airport. You'll recall that T-Mobile topped out at Midway Airport, but here, AT&T led the pack at 3 minutes 56 seconds, followed by T-Mobile at 5 minutes 43 seconds, and Verizon at 7 minutes 43 seconds. I had planned to do a Netflix download test, but I was rapidly losing daylight in downtown Chicago, and I still had two more locations to go, so I wasn't able to do a Netflix download test. Sorry. Getting back to the speed test, the average speed I saw ranged from 78 to 97 megabits per second, and the median speed I saw had a narrower range at 82 to 92 megabits per second. Median, for those of you who are not statistics nerds, means that there were just as many values below the median as above in any given data set. It has a slightly different meaning than just average, because while outliers can skew averages, it doesn't skew the median quite as much, Or at least that's how I understand it, and I'm barely a statistics nerd, so take that for what you will. Speaking of which, some people might look at these numbers and question my methods. Let me stop you right there. Was this the most scientific testing? No. Could I have done more? Absolutely. But I'm one dude who drove 390 miles over 20 hours in two days and shot over 200 clips of A-roll, B-roll, and speed tests, so yeah i could have spent weeks accumulating this data and maybe someday i will today was not that day so yeah my methods had flaws i own that but the big question that we need to ask here is What did we learn from all this? Well, 5G is definitely a thing, and it's a thing that is everywhere. In my travels, I went downtown, the suburbs, the far suburbs, affluent neighborhoods, bad neighborhoods, and I even went out into the middle of the woods. I went to empty amusement parks and busy retail centers. It was Black Friday, after all. And regardless of where I went, somebody, one of the three networks at least, was pulling down really good speeds. But now let's look at the other side of the coin. The speeds were good, for sure. But they weren't what people have in mind when they think 5G, and that is a disservice that has been brought to you by advertisers and PR people. Again, the median speeds I saw were faster than my home internet, so that's not nothing. But it's also not the one or even two gigabyte speeds that 5G people love to trumpet about when they talk about this tech. So the good news is is that 5G is in fact here. The bad news is... It's not really what people told you it would be. I still think my time was well spent and it's fascinating to see the distribution of this tech across an area as expansive as the greater Chicagoland area, red counties included. And it's really good to know that all three carriers seem to have their bases covered and in areas where they're not quite there, it's a good bet that they soon will be. So yeah, 5G is here. and. Sure, it's a little better than 4G. It still should not be the reason why you buy a phone. But if you have a phone with 5G, it's safe to say that it'll work pretty much anywhere in Chicago. I would love to see others do similar tests in their burgs, But for now, at least I know I'm good here. My next guest on the podcast has an extensive resume that includes VR Source, Phone Arena, Android Authority, and most recently, Digital Trends, where he is the smart home editor and my boss. And he's here to talk about his specialty as we examine the state of smart homes in 2020. John Velasco, you handsome, handsome man, welcome to the podcast. Thanks for having me. Well, you're very welcome, and I appreciate you taking out the time to come on and kind of wander around on my turf since I uh, since I play in your yard so much. Um, so, and we've been I've been working with uh, I've been with Digital Trends for what it's been about six months now, give or take. Listen, doing, six months? Wow, that's
1: yeah, I guess something it like by
0: that. Yeah, it it does it does, and so uh, it's been fun, and I'm enjoying it, and I'm learning a lot about smart homes every day, and that's that's always fun. So now to 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 say that this is going to be a state of smart homes in twenty twenty is like saying we're going to talk about the state of animals in twenty twenty there's <laughs> just there's just like way too much ground to cover, and we're going to miss some stuff and that can't be helped but we're going i want to try to take as wide an approach to this as we can and just try to see if we can gather in just like the whole you know the whole thing and so like I just want to start off with some really, really basic, really easy questions just to yeah. kind of, you know, get us get us started off. And I just wanted to ask you, what's your favorite area of smart home to cover right now?
1: Oh, that's a good question. I would say robot vacuums because for the longest time, actually, before I started this, um, you know, with digital trends, I've never covered any robot vacuums ever. So even though I covered mobile for such a long time. I mm-hmm. always was attracted by the robot vacuums. I'm like, wow, those are pretty awesome. You know, automated, clean up the house, very helpful, convenience. Um, and I feel like that's uh, – that's an, especially the robotics, um, how smart they're getting, how efficient they're getting. Uh, and yeah. just, just because it's you know a lot of tech te- packed into the robot vacuums that people don't think about, um, the technology, mm. the LiDAR, the laser uh, mapping and all that. But yeah, the uh, robot vacuums definitely – Probably the more because it's more hands-on, I guess, than let's say a smart light bulb, which sure you know we just speak and tell them turn on, turn off, or change color. That's about it. Um, yeah. So yeah, robot vacuums absolutely are the most interesting things I've covered so far.
0: That's interesting, especially considering like smart robot or uh, smart robot vacuum cleaners. Maybe not the smart part, but robot vacuum cleaners. I mean, that's probably one of your earliest smart home pieces of tech i mean smart vacuum pl- i remember those being around like when i was a teenager and i'm old so <laughs> like <laughs> so i mean like they've been around forever as yeah. far as i yeah and and yeah. it's interesting to see like how far they've come from what I remember as a teenager, like where this thing would just randomly drive around and bump into crap and then turn around and go a different direction to like now they're like mapping out your home and they're planning out your efficient route. And I liked, I really especially like the fact that they like if they run out of battery, they like stop, go back to their charging station charge up just enough to finish the job, and then come back out and pick up right where they left off. It's just amazing what they can do. Yeah, like I said, they they definitely
1: save time, especially if you use them every day. Like, you'll have... Because I remember growing up as a kid, every time we finished dinner, we had to sweep the floors. And, huh. you know, the, the okay. floors were clean, like, every day. So now with the robot vacuum, that eliminates having myself or someone else having to do that. Um, wow. And, there, you okay. know, there's been a lot of... There's been a lot of... Um, advancements like you said with with uh, robot vacuums now we have ones that have security cameras night vision uh, but i'm still waiting for the day when you could have like a dusting robot so you could put on your your desk or something
0: and just let it dust
1: or you know just clean off whatever's there but we're still a good while away before that happens
0: right right and as and as you have and I have talked about off air like my house is not designed for robot vacuums because i've got a I've got a split level house so like I'm on three floors and like my kids are here and they're like messy as hell so yeah but anyway I, I definitely appreciate them for what they can do even if I will probably never own one uh, so but that, but no that's really cool and and if if my listeners take anything away from this podcast let's make it a, a new appreciation for the robot vacuum can i get an amen all right amen to that so uh so like what's one area of smart homes that's really started to take off recently like what's something that just like wow that's a lot of advancement in a short time
1: i would probably say like um like i'm thinking about what you just talked about the the whole messiness the wires everywhere i think um in the next few years we're going to see a big change in how power is uh, supplied to various smart home gadgets not just Mm, you know like the robot vacuums but smaller smaller things let's say like a smart speaker light bulbs um smart security cameras like i feel like i'm looking around my desk right now and there's just a ton of cables everywhere we have chargers for everything we have cables for everything and i'm not sure about you adam but you know i have a surge protector you know, it has six, seven outlets there, but they're all filled up. And I have, you know, s- just two outlets in this office, all taken care of. Take, you know, all filled up. And I feel as though the next step for the smart for home is going to be a more wireless solution. And we see what's happening with wireless charging. There are, you know, different types of technologies. There are, there's the inductive charging that we've seen for a while. That a lot of devices leverage whether it be today's smartphones and then you have some mm-hmm. of the really crazy out there stuff like over the air radio infrared wireless power transmission which it, you know i saw at CES, it's past yes it's pretty interesting because they are able to power um this this train this you know toy train using mm-hmm. using infrared beams granted it's a direct line of sight but it was getting all the power it needed to actually operate but with this new technology. I,
0: you know, I, that's, that's an interesting thought. I also kind of wonder about the power efficiency of those delivery systems because I read an article just a couple of weeks ago about how wireless chargers are really cool, but they're actually really bad for the environment because of all the heat loss that you get from the energy transfer. And I kind of wonder, like, those other power delivery methods that you saw at CES, I kind of wonder, like, what their – Uh, track record is like environmentally speaking like is that viable for like a long-term solution if we're gonna you know for example is it is it going to be worth it to have wireless stuff if it's going to charge us like 50 percent more power you know in in order to get the same amount so i mean that's obviously something that and that's why they're at ces and not at you know walmart Um, (laughs) but um but anyway so what are some of the challenges that you've had to um overcome in the year that you've been at digital trends
1: I guess getting adjusted to smart home tech because covering mobile, obviously there's some there's some there's some areas that I'm already familiar with. Mm-hmm. Smart speakers, obviously that's integrated with Google Assistant with the smartphones. Yeah. But um, getting acquainted with some of the other areas of um, of smart home, smart displays, yes, the robot vacuums, yes, the um, the smart lighting. I would say a little bit. That's still kind of related to mobile. A lot of it has to do with yeah. mobile. Uh, But just understanding, I guess, um, like when we started doing some of the appliances early on, because initially we did do appliances. And I Mm -hmm. just remember just trying to read and understand the terminology, you know, what this whenever I would edit a review, I just look it over and just make sure the grammar and spelling were correct. But as far as the terminology and the actual review itself, I'm like, wow, I have no idea what this is talking about at this point. What this part of the machine is, so I guess learning and understanding exactly the also the um, the, you know the hubs. What is a hub? What is what is a bridge? What's the difference between this and all the other wireless standards out there, from Zigbee to Z Wave to uh, Bluetooth Low LE to Wi Fi? Like, there's a lot of stuff that goes into smart home, and how right now it's still like almost like a jumbled mess in a way. Mm-hmm. you really can't buy one product that will work with everything and anything and the downside too is that you know you when you when you take a risk or gamble on let's say an off brand like your situation <laughs> what's going to happen down the road there's always that chance that you invest that money for example the insignia smart home line with best buy you know they sold it for years and I believe sometime last year they just killed the entire line. So now that smart device, that smart um, smart lights you have, no longer are smart. It's basically right. just a standard light bulb at this point. So you know, there's yeah. there's that.
0: Yeah. Well, and so yeah, and, and and especially in the smart home space because that is something that has kind of like blossomed over the last. I would say what five years, give or take. It, mm-hmm. you, you didn't really hear too much about smart home before that, you know. So I mean, really, by uh, you know, compared to something like mobile or computing, kind of in its infancy stages. I mean, you're you're, you're basically smart home is kind of like a toddler at this point, you know, kind of learning to walk, but you know, mm-hmm. you still got to make sure it doesn't run out in front of a train. So, um, you know, when it comes to the, something like that, you know, you I, I, there are some established brands. I would say Philips is probably one of those exactly. brands. Yep. Yep. I would say you know but like there's there's a ton of other brands out there that are kind of dabbling in the smart home space that like maybe they shouldn't insignia is a good example like what that's that would be definitely a hazard if you're approaching smart home. so like i know phillips off the top of my head that's like the first one that kind of jumps to mind but like what are some of the other brands that are pretty established players that look like they're going to be into this for the long haul just to give my uh, my listeners kind of an idea as to like you know what they should be looking for. In yeah, the so smart home tech.
1: obviously any of the big names. So you look at Apple, look at Google, any of their products. Amazon. So any of the Amazon Alexa speakers, displays. You invest into that um, ring, which is a part of Amazon. You know mm-hmm. they're going to be around for quite some time. Um, over in the let's let's break it down to the different segments. So lighting, you have Philips Hue. It's probably going to be the ones that's going to be there for a while. You have. LifeX, which is a little mm-hmm. bit more of a premium brand, um, and then you have also maybe to an extent some of the uh, mobile players. Like I know Xiaomi has their own set of smart home devices out there. Maybe they'll they'll last long. Um, over in smart uh, as far as security cameras are concerned, you have of course Ring, Ring part of Amazon, mm-hmm. Nest, anything Nest obviously part of Google. Yeah. Um, even some of the third third-party manufacturers, accessory makers out there, Logitech, Arlo, um, I'm trying to think who else here.
0: Um, Arlo seems like it's a company that's doing a lot of things right.
1: Yeah, they're initially part of um, Netgear, I believe, and then they—they've oh, okay. they, okay. actually made great strides with their smart home portfolio, specifically the the, the security cameras. So you know they're mm-hmm. going to be around. Another. Some up and coming ones I'd probably recommend that have been making a lot of noise. Wise, Wise, granted they you know they are a Chinese company, but they've been growing their portfolio for the last few years, and their thing is you know value. So you're yeah. getting a lot of bang for the buck. Um, you're not paying a whole lot. It's functional. It works. And just in the last few years, they went from just a single camera, maybe a couple of cameras, to now. And their own ecosystem, which consists of smart locks, security. Uh, uh, you have smart bulbs, you have security mm. cameras. Um, so, Wise is another brand, maybe you want to think about. And then, Yuffie, Yuffie, which is part of the Anchor, they're a sub brand of Anchor. Okay. It makes all yep. the um, the chargers and all that. But uh, they've, they've branched out to everything you have light bulbs, you have smart locks. You have also their Yuffie robot vacuums, their security cameras. So they seem like they're going to be in the long haul. So, yeah.
0: Let me ask you this. When it comes to, like, when it comes to actually DIY and smart home, how important do you think it is that you buy into a single ecosystem as opposed to a cornucopia of apps and services like, you know, for example, like a ring doorbell and a Nest thermostat, etc., cetera, et cetera?
1: I asked the same question to my, my friends who aren't into tech. And what they love, what they appreciate about the DIY where you just pay like a ADT or SimpliSafe is that the convenience. You don't have to have yeah. seven different apps to monitor or watch out or get 10 different notifications from you know four different apps. It just mm-hmm. makes it easy, I guess. Um, if, you have, if you have the ability to manage all your smart home devices, yeah, you could go ahead and make your own DIY security system you know for yeah. a fraction of the cost, but now you know the problem comes is the problem that, that happens is that now you 're getting all these notifications you don 't know what they are, or you just get frustrated that maybe you didn't set the sensitivity to to very low, so now you're seeing these notifications come in and you just forget about them or you disregard them, and then in the event that it 's an actual emergency.
0: There's going to be a problem. It's the little boy who cried wolf all over again. Yeah,
1: yeah, and that's 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 thing with you know uh, I asked my friends. So why not go with let's say a nest and then let's say buy an Arlo camera? They just don't want to, have to deal with all the hassle, I guess. So okay, it just right. depends on the, on the person.
0: So do you ever anticipate a time, or like how far away are we from a time when? all of our smart home stuff will all work together and integrate together seamlessly. Like we're almost there now. Like there, there's a lot of cool stuff that you can do, especially with like, especially with like a Vivint type system um, where, you know, you can set it. So if your smoke alarm goes off, then all your lights turn on to a hundred percent and your doors unlock. So, but like, and to me, that is like the essence of a smart home you know like you can have smart home appliances you can have smart home things but if you want a smart home in my world it all has to work together and sometimes that's the case and sometimes it's not i just kind of wonder like how far are we away from having this be like this is the case like this always works this way you know what i mean
1: Yeah, yeah For me, like watching the Jetsons growing up, uh, that's the perfect vision of the future, right? Sure. Where you talk to this person or this, this this computer, ask it questions, do something, it'll do it for you. And right now, I feel as though the biggest area of opportunity with the smart home is going to be, it's going to come down to AI. Because that's that's definitely going to be how the, the smart home is going to evolve from where it is now. Because... As you know, right now, you have to do a lot of things in order for something to happen. You have to tell Alexa to turn on this. Or let's say, if you want to get a little bit more comprehensive, you could set a routine where you say, you know, good morning or I'm home and it'll do all these things. But mm-hmm. what if it could do that by itself?
0: Yeah. Um, and that's now that's now where, the,
1: you know, that's where AI is going to come into play Um Knowing, being more proactive with actions. Because let's say it knows that you come home every day at 5 p.m. Like it should anticipate that. I shouldn't have to tell tell when I get home, hey, I'm here. It should right. automatically be able to tell, you know, learn from habits um, to make decisions on its own. Or at the very least, make some recommendations.
0: It- All right. So let's let's talk a little bit about the future. And um what what are we going to see what what's going to be the next big thing in smart home tech? What what are we what are we going to see coming up? I mean obviously if you could make this prediction you could also go get some lottery tickets and you wouldn't have to talk to my stupid ass but uh but uh so what are we going to see what are we going to see next in the future from smart home do you think? Well, that's a that's a loaded question. Um it is.
1: Jeez, <laughs> I don't know what where, where, where can we go from here? Um far as like gadgets are concerned um well okay let's let's go like futuristic let's let's talk about robots everywhere like that's that would be the ultimate thing we have lawn mower robots out there we have even robots that will clean your windows outside by itself um so maybe more of that automation like again i kind of want to go back to the robot backing because i feel this is going to be a big thing because it, it is a robot at the end of the day but how will right. this robot vacuum evolve in the next ten years? Yes, it'll clean up. That's the main function. But now we have robots that have cameras that could, you know, be a watchdog at your home. Throw mm-hmm. in a smart speaker in there. You have, you know, you'll be able to speak to people. You could ask it questions. You could set and send commands to it to, you know, turn on the lights, whatever. Um, but I feel like, yeah, that's it. That'd be the next step. What, what, How will cleaning be changed to, um, will it be able to do the dusting? Will it be able to do other stuff besides just cleaning the floors? Mm-hmm. So as far as like a virtual butler or a natural assistant, I feel like that might have, you know, that there's a lot of opportunity there. So
0: one, um, one more question for you. And then I think we can go ahead and, uh, let you go because you have been a peach so far, and I really appreciate you, Thank you. taking the time to come on here. Um, what are some of the challenges that we're going to face going forward when it comes to smart home? Is it it's a gonna-
1: very easy answer here. Um, that's, okay. It's going to come down to privacy.
0: Okay. People,
1: I feel like as though the more we get into a connected home, the more we're giving up our privacy and that's, Mm -hmm. you know, for some people, privacy is everything. But if you own a smartphone, I tell people you already gave up your privacy. Uh, (laughs) I can't tell you enough. Like it knows where you are. It knows who you are. Um, So if you did that, then why not? Uh, You know, perfect example, security cameras, all the hacks with the Ring and some other Mm -hmm. companies uh, is a hacker able to actually spy. And I'll tell you right now, it's very possible that a hacker could do a lot more than just hack your, your camera. Um, mm-hmm. But yeah, privacy is going to be an area of opportunity. How are we going to protect consumers at the end of the day? Um, what kind of rights we have to give up? Um, you know, it's, it, There's a lot because these, these gadgets are learning more about us each day. They're learning our habits. They know you know when our birthday is. They know mm-hmm. our favorite foods. Um, and also now when you have cameras in the home, microphones, it's, it's definitely invasive in a way, mm. but I guess for me, you know, I, I look around right now, I have smart speaker right here, smart display camera. I have like four cameras here, um, watching, uh, it's going to, co- do, do I, am I concerned that someone's watching? Eh, not so much. Um, so It's also a part of the the, the company. The companies have to be mindful about privacy, too. There are companies that do a better job at protecting our privacy. You look at SimpliSafe. I always go back to SimpliSafe's implementation with their camera because very few cameras on the market have privacy shutters. You have electronic shutters, which they'll tell you, yeah, the power is turned off because there's that red light right next to it, but the camera is still exposed. So. Like you know if you know anything about hacking, there's a way you know to to get around that and even though it shows red uh, you know it's not recording, someone could be hacking that still, which right. so with simply safe, they actually engineered a physical shutter, so now whenever the camera is not uh, you know not not being used, it's gonna close the shutter, and the other thing hmm. is that there's a, a n- there's a recognizable sound to it whenever it does that, you hear it, so it's an audible. Notification too not only you you know you you, you could see the red light, but gotcha. there's a sound so you know now that the camera just opened up and you know that it's recording so the companies too have to be very mindful about how they're developing the smart home tech. Some do a better job, some others need a lot of work, but um, yeah, privacy is going to be the big thing
0: uh, awesome. I mean, I mean, not awesome, but (laughs) awesome answer is how I should is how I should say that. Well, well, Mr. Velasco, thank you very much for for taking the time to come on and and learn us all with your knowledge. And now I want to go ahead and roll out the red carpet for you and, uh, you know, let you I want you to give you the opportunity to let my listeners know where they can find you on the internets if they should be so inclined.
1: Yeah, uh, you can follow me on Instagram, Twitter, and LinkedIn at John underscore C underscore Velasco. But just look up John Velasco. You could pretty much find me anywhere.
0: Well, Mr. Velasco, thank you very much for coming on and, uh, and talking to us about smart homes. And I hope I can have you on again sometime. Thank you. It's a pleasure. So that's going to do it for this episode of the podcast. I'd like to thank John Velasco for coming on and teaching us all about smart homes and the robot vacuums that make them go. I'd like to thank Cliff Thomas for all of his hard work behind the scenes, but most of all, and as always, I'd like to thank you for listening and for giving me the benefit of the doubt.